0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, editor at the Security Ledger. One of the most vexing problems created by the fast-evolving Internet of Things is how to secure the massive trove of data that's transmitted and then stored by smart devices such as automobiles, consumer and household electronics, and uh, personal mobile devices. While private firms have been aggressive in leveraging new technology to connect their products to the internet, less thought has been given to the security and privacy implications of doing so. Just this week, the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, settled a case with the California firm TrendNet over balky home surveillance cameras they sold, cameras that were discovered to be easily hackable from the public internet. With us today, we have an expert on security and the internet of things. Stacey Kennedy is a technical marketing engineer. In the Trustworthy Computing Group at Cisco Systems, he's going to be part of a panel at the Trusted Computing Conference in Orlando, Florida next week, the Wild Wild World Wide Web, which will look at ways to secure the growing Internet of Things. Stacy, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Thank you. One good place to start, I think, would be to define when we talk about security and the Internet of Things. um, What types of problems are we talking about? And are these hypothetical problems or are they practical problems that are with us now and and already causing uh, issues or concerns?
1: Okay. Um, One example of a problem is a denial of service. Uh, so you' uh, you you have a network of widgets that, that you are using to accomplish some goal uh, and an attacker uh, you are you are monitoring these widgets over the internet you are receiving data from them over the internet you are delivering commands to them over the internet in order for them to do things on your behalf uh, one attack is a denial of service attack and that's typically uh, done by flooding the your network, uh, the network that you use to communicate with these devices with bogus traffic, or flooding the devices with bogus traffic, or flooding your central control facility with bogus traffic. And the result is your, your devices can't get the data to you because the network is saturated. You can't get commands to those devices either because the network is saturated with traffic. So that's one form of attack. Another is Uh, snooping on the line, looking at the data that's being transmitted back and forth. Some of this data may be financially sensitive. It may be sensitive healthcare information. If I have embedded medical devices, uh, it might be possible for an attacker to intercept that information as it is communicated between the device and a healthcare professional. Uh, it, It might also be that an attacker would modify the behavior of such a medical device. But you can see that uh, people's lives can depend upon this. There have also been situations in which uh, researchers uh, reported that they were able to access automotive systems and take control both of the accelerator and the brake. Uh, they did this by uh, uh, compromising a wireless transmitter inside the tire of the car. The purpose of this transmitter was to send status information about the air pressure inside the tire to critical systems uh, inside the vehicle that need to know what the integrity is of the tire. The attackers were able to uh, get into this wireless sensor in the tire by wireless transmission uh, while the car was in operation and then bridge from that antenna in the tire to the uh, uh, mission critical systems inside the vehicle. And since both braking and acceleration are considered mission critical, that was how they were able to take control of a car in operation. No one was hurt in this, but you can see that someone could have been.
0: Right, and those are all fairly recent examples. Actually, I mean, those are all more or less from the last six months um, uh, that we've that we've seen this. So, um, you you outlined a couple different attacks. Sort of the the man in the middle attack would be one. The other would be denial of service. Um, these are, of course, pretty well established attacks in the in the traditional computing world. Uh, certainly, a- enterprises have had to contend with those for a long time. Why are we Fighting this battle again with these smart and embedded devices on systems like automobiles or boats—why did we not learn the lesson from the from the PC days?
1: The the companies that build embedded devices have a mindset that is entirely separate from the mindset of, of companies that build software and hardware uh, for PCs and servers. Uh, they often have different telecommunication standards that they adhere to. They often uh, have very different processors that they use, uh, and they come from a background in which security was never an issue because the Internet was never part of their, um, uh, the environments that they were building for but over the course of the last 15 years uh, there has been a rush to connect these devices to the internet the proliferation of of wireless technology has also made it possible to uh, to add remarkable numbers of devices to the Internet. The number of Internet-connected devices exceeded the population of the planet in 2008 by by many estimates, certainly estimates that Cisco uh, holds to be accurate. Uh, There's an estimate uh, that that by 2020, there will be upwards of 50 billion of these devices attached to the Internet. So it's clear that people aren't going to be looking at 50 billion devices, uh, and it's clear that the people that are building these devices devices don't have experience with the, consequence of the devices, consequences that occur when these devices are attacked. Uh, if history is our guide, we are going to see a transition from the amateurs, who are doing this just to see if they can, to the professionals who are doing it because this is their livelihood.
0: Is there a reason to hope that things will be different in this world of connected devices? And if so, what, what reason is there to hope that you know, consumer device manufacturers, critical infrastructure manufacturers, um, mobile device manufacturers are going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle uh, when it comes to security and data privacy?
1: So the, the single largest advantage, I think, that the Internet of Things has compared to the Internet of People is that um, people are often intolerant of, of security. Uh, it gets in their way, and people are – we're a an imaginative bunch of creatures. Uh, we find ourselves in very volatile situations uh, with – uh, needs and desires to change frequently, and this plays havoc with the, uh, the work of a security analyst trying to build security into a computing system. Uh, the users are constantly, well, you know, today I need this, yesterday I didn't, and today I do, and I really don't care that this might be uh, a security breach. It's my job to get this done, so I need to get it done. This is not the case for most of the embedded systems. Most embedded systems have very narrow functions that they are designed to perform, uh, and they are limited to those functions. Uh, this is the function that the device will perform day and night for years and years that's a much easier security problem to address. There aren't people in the middle of it. There's nobody at a keyboard. There's nobody poking at icons on a screen. When that is true, it's possible to do things with security that you can't do when there are people around. So one of the things that I'm thinking of is that uh, you um, you can use specialized hardware uh, called uh, hardware-based roots of trust, and these roots of trust can be um, can be designed to validate the integrity of the code that's running on that embedded device. Uh, in today's PC market, you see uh, Microsoft uh, insisting um, validation of this sort as part of the boot process for PCs that support the Windows 8 operating system.
0: So this would prevent rogue applications, for example, from running on a Windows 8 system? Yes, from installing
1: themselves, yes, from installing themselves in um, um, uh, a secretive way without your knowledge or permission. Uh, malware that that does this to embedded systems exists as well. So at the very start, when you apply power to one of these embedded systems, uh, there is a requirement that you can can prove that the software that's present on the embedded device is what you think it is, that it hasn't been changed, uh, and that nobody has added extra software to it. Uh, When you can do that, you can make a statement that I trust this device to do the job that it was made to do. If you can't validate that when the system comes up, how do you know what the system is going to do? You, you, don't. you don't. You're don't you just making the assumption that the software is still good. You have, you have no evidence. So this hardware root of trust is used initially to prove that the software is what you think it is. Once the system is up, the hardware root of trust can be used to preserve the integrity of secrets, such as encryption keys. Uh, these encryption keys might be used to set up encrypted sessions back to, the owner's network. Uh, it might be used to um, uh, protect keys that are uh, that are responsible for encrypting data that is stored on the device as well.
0: Okay, Stacy. Last question: Where do we draw the line on, you know, secure development, secure deployment? Um, it's it's easy to say, okay, well, if you've got a um, Remote uh, wireless device. It's it's in the field and it's uh, directing um, subway cars on the New York City uh, uh, transit system. You know, obviously that should should clear a very high bar regarding security and and the ability to authenticate to that device and and manage it. Right. Um, but what about you know um, you know the the soil moisture sensors right that are that are coming out that frankly mm-hmm. I'm I would love to get because they look like the greatest things where you can just kind of stick them in your pots and you know they're on mm-hmm. your they're on your home network but they're just monitoring the the the, the moisture of your soil um, should those you know, be using AES-256 and, and uh, you know, have, have you know, a hardware root of trust as well? Or do we end up saying, drawing a line and saying, look, the, you know, for this, this class of smart, intelligent devices, you need a very high bar for security. But for these other ones, uh, you know, maybe not.
1: That's a really, that is a deceptively difficult problem to answer. And I'll cycle back to the uh, the story I told about the, the car researchers who uh, took control of safety-critical systems in the, in the car by compromising a wireless antenna in a, inside of a spinning tire. So you yourself said, it'd be great to put these soil mo- moisture meters in the ground in your yard and connect them to your home network. So as an attacker... If that device is considered below the threshold of significance, it's it's so insignificant that we're not going to do anything to secure it. Can I go through that moisture meter and get access to your home systems? And can I bridge right. through that network to get into your PC to right. your financial data? Right. So you know this is this is a deceptively right. It's just a tricky problem to resolve.
0: Right. It's just another endpoint,
1: right? It is. We think, oh, it's trivial. How could anybody do this? But those those car researchers, that little widget inside the tire, it just measures pressure and has an antenna and says a wireless signal to somebody. That's all it is. How insignificant is that? Right, right.
0: Okay. Stacey Kennedy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with uh, the Security Ledger podcast today. And we look forward to talking to you again. Stacey Kennedy is a technical marketing engineer in the Trustworthy Computing Group at Cisco Systems. Stacey, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you.